Welcome to the podcast from Eden Worship Center. Because we believe that it is God's Word that does God's work in God's people, we want you to hear the gospel preached in the gathering of believers. We want you to read it for yourself and to join us as we think together and talk together about the sermon from this past week and what's going on in our world. You can join the conversation by sending in your comments and questions to EdenWC at Hotmail.com. May God cause His Word to come alive in your heart today. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the EWC Midweek Podcast. Pastor Matt here. I am flying solo by myself this week. Uh, wanted to just go back over a, a few of the things that we talked about on Sunday in the sermon. Uh, one of the great things that we have done with this podcast is have an opportunity to go back through, think back through some of the things that we already talked about on Sunday. Uh, the reason I say that's a great thing is because so often we will hear something, uh, whether it is learning something, whether it's hearing a sermon, and then if we're just listening to it, it's so easy for it to sort of slip right out of our mind. We, we forget all about it. Uh, it helps so much when you take notes. It helps so much when you go back and review things. So this has really been an opportunity for us to go back, review talk about things in the sermon. Also, some things that we didn't have time to get to. So that's that's what I want to do today. Uh, as we look specifically uh, in Genesis 3, so it, just a reminder of where we were, Genesis 3, uh, the story of the fall of man coming in. So God has created this perfect world, and now uh, sin is going to be creeping in uh, in the midst of God's perfection. It starts with uh, this interaction between the woman and the serpent, and we talked about the, this pattern that we see. We, we see it in Genesis. We see it in our lives today of doubting God's word and then distorting God's word and then dismissing God's word. That, that's what the, the serpent calls her to do is to doubt the word of God. Uh, she almost immediately begins to distort it, adding her own bits and pieces of what she thinks God said, but it's actually her own law, her own legalism that's been added in there. And ultimately, uh, it leads to dismissing, just saying, okay, whatever God did or didn't say, I'm doing my own thing. And you just see this pattern in our world again and again and again, this uh, onslaught against trusting and believing in the inerrant word of God. It, in other words, that the Bible doesn't have errors in it. It doesn't have uh, contradictions. It, it isn't just a man book that's been put together uh, filled with man's rules, man's religion, but that this is divinely inspired and given by God, which is why so many times you see God's word distorted twisted just just a little bit here a little bit there sometimes it's big and we catch that right away but sometimes it's just a little twist uh, just a little bit that's not quite on uh, we have to be so careful uh, always reforming always going back to God's word it, here's why we're careful because if we don't think about that what we're going to end up doing is dismissing God's word just completely writing it off as out of date it doesn't apply to today uh, no matter what we reject it all right, so doubting God's word, distorting God's word, dismissing God's word. I would just encourage you, be aware of those. Be listening for those in the world around you. When you hear them, especially in the church, we want to, it should just send up red flags all over the place. We should be so careful with that. 
so uh, because I don't have anybody in here with me right now, I want to just start by responding. We had a few questions from the sermon this week. Uh, two of them that we're going to start off with were actually the same question. So I'm, I'm going to read them both, and then we'll just kind of think through them a little bit together, all right? Uh, so the first question, do you think if the snake could talk, or right, remember the, the story in Genesis 3, is uh, there's a serpent talking to the woman, all right? Uh, Do you think if the snake could talk, the other animals could too? Because the animals had come to Adam and he named them. So there's something different in the relationship with man and the animals. And so the question is, could the snake talk? We got this one a couple times. Uh, Here's the other version of it. Since there's no surprise at a talking snake, like what was she thinking? (laughs) A snake starts talking in front of her and she doesn't seem freaked out. is it possible that there were other beasts who were able to talk prior to the fall? All right, so I, I just said a second ago that to combat error, to keep us from falling into wrong doctrine and wrong thinking, uh, we are constantly going back to the Scripture as our only and main authority in life. Uh, if we do that, there's no biblical evidence for uh, just talking animals, like, like we see in fables, like we see in mythology, uh, animals with human characteristics that are able to speak uh, with one exception, and we find that in Numbers 22. So it's the story of Balaam's talking donkey. Uh, and I would just point out that in Genesis 3 and Numbers 22, they're both supernatural events. It, it's not a, a natural thing where before the fall, uh, the animals could talk, and after the fall, it seems like there's some sort of uh, cessation, a, a stopping of that. Both of these are supernatural events. So we have uh, Satan speaking through this snake, uh, Satan manifesting himself, showing up in the form of a snake. And in Numbers 22, uh, we have the prophet of God, whose name was Balaam, who's going, he, he's sort of becoming a cursing prophet for hire. He's going to go curse God's people. Uh, he had seriously lost his way when you look at this. Uh, and uh, an angel of the Lord is standing to fight against him, right? So it, maybe if you're not familiar with the story, here it is. Numbers 22, verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabites. Those were the people who were uh, against God with, with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord, by the way, when you see the angel of the Lord, it's almost always uh, a Christophany, uh, what theologians call an Old Testament appearance of Christ himself, that this is Christ, uh, the captain of the host. So uh, at least it's the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding the donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, now the the people don't see him. They can't see the supernatural uh, appearance of Christ, or at least this this mighty angel in front of them, Uh, but the donkey sees it. Verse 23, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. The donkey said, I want no part of that, (laughs) getting struck down by an angel. Uh, And so Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. Verse 24, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyard. So the the donkey veers off the road, and now he's like trampling through some vineyard. And suddenly the angel is in front of him with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. 
And so he beat the donkey again. That almost sounds like some a comedy movie where everything that he tries just keeps going wrong. Verse 26, Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with a staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. All right, so here's kind of an important thing. Uh, this is way out of the ordinary. In other words, this isn't something that's that's happening again and again. This is a supernatural encounter with the angel of the Lord. And so much so that God opens the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey says, what have I done to you to make you beat me three times? And here it is again. Like Eve comes into contact with the serpent the serpent speaks to her and she just responds like it's a Tuesday, you know, like, like nothing is going on. Uh, this donkey talks to Balaam and Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool out of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. <laughs> I love that he doesn't go, what on earth? A talking donkey. Like this is, this is crazy. No, he escalates it. He's so ticked off. He's like, if I had a sword, I would kill you with it. And the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey? I'm your donkey. This is awesome. Uh, which, is, which you have always ridden to this day. Have I been in a habit of doing this to you? And Balaam is just having a conversation. No, I guess not. Verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn. And he bowed low and fell face down. Uh, so here's number one. I wanted to read that because that's an awesome story. Uh, number two, uh, because this is a supernatural event, all right? So it's not indicative of talking animals throughout Scripture. It actually uh, indicates the exact opposite, that there weren't talking animals. Uh, and for that to happen, it took something significantly supernatural and out of the ordinary. So back in Genesis 3, uh, it's actually Satan lurking behind this snake. Uh, now, so here's, here's one of the things we didn't really take time to talk about on Sunday, uh, and this is the problem with familiar passages. Most of us uh, grown inside the church, or maybe you grew up outside of the church, you've heard of Adam and Eve, that you've heard of the Garden of Eden, uh, you know that there was some snake involved, and you know that they ate some fruit. You may not, maybe fuzzy on the details, but that you're pretty clear on. And here's what you do if you're in the church. You immediately go from sake to snaten, to Snake to Satan. <laughs> Snaten's not actually a word. Sake, I can't talk. <laughs> I'm in here all by myself. Snake to Satan. There we go. Uh, only this passage doesn't tell us that. It, it, does, it never tells us that it was Satan. It just refers to it as the serpent. Uh, and it, it's the serpent who's having a conversation with this woman with Eve. We're not even told if Adam is there or not. Uh, odds are, it, it just listening to the, the tone of the conversation, it's strange uh, that he only speaks to her and never speaks to him. So it almost seems like he shows up at the end of the conversation, uh, right as she has taken the fruit and is going to eat of it, uh, and then she gives it to her husband. Uh, it, here's kind of an important point on this. Uh, we're talking about a story that features a talking snake, all right? But 
nothing in scripture, nothing in the Old Testament, nothing in the New Testament is going to treat this as if it's legend or mythology with talking animals. Uh, It's only going to treat it like a true story. It doesn't even treat it like it's an allegory, uh, a story that's told to symbolize something for our good. Uh, It references this account in Genesis 3 as a true story with real people and actual events. But again, we're only told that it's a serpent. Uh, We know it's Satan from the rest of Scripture. Part of interpreting Scripture is we want to read it in light of all of Scripture. Uh, So we only know it's Satan because it's super clear in a couple passages. It's ironic. It's a Genesis, the beginning, Revelation at the end. Revelation 12, 3 through 4, describes the great red dragon who swept one-third of the angels of heaven away. Uh, the word for serpent in the Hebrew that's used in Genesis 3 and the word for dragon are actually interchangeable words. Uh, so this is this is something it maybe not like the snakes that we're used to seeing today. Uh, in fact, in the curse that's put on it, we know it's something different, that it either had legs or it stood upright. Uh, something was different. Uh, we also know how this serpent is going to end when we look at Revelation 20. It says the angel sees the dragon, that ancient serpent. So it's going to pin it all the way back to Genesis. That ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. In the end, he's thrown into the lake of fire where there would be torment day and night forever and ever. Uh, The good news with that for us New Testament believers is right from this first moment of sin and temptation and fall where we're kind of half tempted to look at our world and go, Man, it's all messed up. Maybe there's just no hope for the world. There's no hope for humanity. Jesus, come back and just sneak us out of here because this whole world is lost. Uh, we are promised in God's word. We know what's going to happen with this serpent. Uh, we know that he will be forever crushed by the one who is promised. And we're going to talk about it this coming Sunday, uh, who will crush his head. Here's another interesting thought. This is our first introduction to him or anything else evil in the midst of all of God's perfection. Everything that God has made is perfect. It is without sin. It's without contamination. And now we have a character introduced who is a personification of evil himself, who is tempting God's good creation, man, the, the pinnacle of what God has made towards rejecting God, rebelling against him and leaning in towards evil. All right, so here's the second question that we got. This is a super good one. We kind of touched on this a couple weeks ago, uh, but it's good to go back and fill in the blank. Uh, The person writes in, so God makes an entire world, all the trees, and gave them everything but one tree. And says, do not eat this or you will surely die. (laughs) Here's how they phrase it. So I'm going to ask a question. A lot of people are thinking, why put them by this tree? There's a whole big world. Was it because God knew and that was just his plan? Uh, It was always Jesus, and and, uh, this is a timeline for his entrance. Uh, But I still know that the question goes on, uh, why why have this tree uh, knowing that he, being God, would find them naked and ashamed? Uh, And then referring to the thing, it seems like this is a whole sermon built on the sin of man when really wasn't it God's plan It's also confusing. So how do we understand God's plan, God's redemptive history, knowing this was going to happen, knowing they were going to eat of this tree? Uh, 
is God to be blamed for what happened? Uh, why didn't God do it differently? That, that was something I said a couple weeks ago. Uh, out of the entire planet, why not put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Antarctica someplace? Uh, we know the Garden of Eden is roughly in the Middle East. Uh, why not put it on the other end of the earth uh, so that there's no temptation? All right, so uh, a couple thoughts when it comes to this. Uh, thinking from a human perspective, I totally get that. In fact, that's what I said a couple weeks ago. Uh, I tend to think, yeah, why not do that? Uh, it, so here's, here's just a word of caution in thinking like me, thinking like this person. Uh, we have to be careful when we are thinking about God's plan and God's intention from just a human perspective. All right. So we, number one, we have to be careful in assigning blame or uh, evil intent towards God. Uh, we also have to be careful in assuming intentions upon God. All right. So here's, here's where we're going to start. I, I think when, we're, when we come up against questions, we should back up until we hit the wall that we are confident on. Uh, here's where we're confident. We believe 100% in the sovereignty of God. So was Adam was Eve responsible for their individual choices in choosing to sin and fall away? Absolutely. Uh, do we still believe that God is sovereign over that? So the question said, why are we talking about the responsibility of man when ultimately God is sovereign? Is this something that God did? Just to sort of think a little past the question. All right, so let me, let me give a couple sides of this. Exodus 4, verse 11. The Lord said, it is him who made man's mouth, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? So in everything, God says, ultimately, I'm responsible. I'm the one who has done this. I'm the one who is bringing this. Uh, Isaiah 45, 6 and 7. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, before we jump much farther, let's think about that for just a second. It's really easy for us to uh, embrace the idea, celebrate the idea that God's the one who brings blessing and prosperity, uh, who brings sight to the blind, uh, who brings healing to the broken, uh, restoration, uh, all those sort of things. Yes, but God goes one step farther and takes credit and responsibility for those who are born blind and deaf and mute or seeing or hearing that God says, I'm the one who brings light and I'm the one who brings darkness over people. I bring prosperity and I bring calamity. I, the Lord do all these things. Now I, I said a little bit ago, we got to be careful in thinking about the attributes of God from a human standpoint. Uh, what we want to do is then assign blame and evil intent to the Lord, except we know that God is good and all that he does is good. So everything that God brings about is for our good and for his glory. Uh, we don't understand that. That's why we, we back up to this wall of God's sovereignty and we say we don't understand fully. We do know that we cannot assign blame to God because he is good and all that he does is good. Romans 8 uh, 9 verse 18. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. All right, so we hear in this verse, even within salvation, even in being able to hear with a soft heart the message of the gospel, God says, 
on some I will soften their hearts, I will open their eyes, I will open their ears, and some I will harden their hearts, I will close their eyes, and I will deafen their ears. Here's where we got to be careful. James 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is lured away and enticed. Friends, how does this work? I don't know. I don't know because it's just an earthly perspective. We cannot see and think and feel from God's heavenly perspective. We have a really limited perspective. And so we have to back up and say, God, we know that you're sovereign. You're in control of everything, whether it is everything that looks good to us or everything that looks bad to us. We have to back up to God's goodness. God, I know that you are good. I know that all you do is good. It, Here's where we should begin to take hope in that. That means that when we first are introduced to the character of evil, of Satan, of this serpent in Genesis 3, God is going to be bending that towards good right from the very first. So even within that first evil, that first temptation that leads to the fall, at the tail end of that, (laughs) tail end, we're talking about a snake, at the end of that, that he's going to immediately, for the first time, introduce good news, introduce the gospel, just an old word that means good news, in the promise of the one who's going to come and crush the serpent's head. Uh, of Christ himself, who's going to forever defeat sin and death and the devil. So somehow in the midst of that, it's not God who tempts. Somehow in the midst of that, it's not God uh, who tempts people and pushes people and leads people towards evil. God is not the author of evil. God tempts no one because he can't himself be tempted. But God is using Satan as a pawn. I I love that Martin Luther famously said, even uh, the devil is God's devil. That the devil thinks he's a free agent. He thinks he is corrupting God's plan and God is using it for his glory and our good. That we might trust in him, that his power to save might be put on display. Uh, So why not just plant the tree on the other side of the planet? I think that's a a, a good question. Uh, Here's what we got to do. We got to back up again to everything that God is doing is for good and to put his glory on display. So why didn't he do it? So that he could put his glory on display. All right, be careful in thinking anything further than that because scripture doesn't give it to us. That's just human speculation. And as soon as we start assigning human blame and fault to God, we know we have just stepped past the limits of where we should go. So I think we have to be careful, whether it's this situation or any other, in creating some sort of version of this world or what God should do, even what we should do, that is a set of rules and laws for us to live by or God to live by that's based on our own understanding. Friends, that's legalism. Okay, that, that's us uh, distorting God's word, even as we see Eve distorted it. So that this, the snake basically says to her, did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? And she's like, no, we can eat from the trees of the garden. We just can't eat from that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and we can't touch it or we'll die. Only we're not told in Scripture that God said they can't touch it. Uh, that was her rule. That was maybe Adam's rule. As God says to Adam, don't, don't eat of this tree. And so he says, listen, for our family, we're, we're going to set up an extra boundary. Don't even touch it. Don't go near it. Don't spend time looking at it. God had only said, don't eat it. And they added the extra rule, don't touch it. Here's the problem. 
almost immediately afterwards, we don't know what kind of time has elapsed in here, but almost immediately as Eve is retelling it, she can't remember if it's her rule or God's rule. And so she says, God's the one who told us don't eat from it or don't touch it or you'll surely die. Her legalism has already got mixed up with what God had commanded of her. Yet God didn't say that. At least we're not told that God said that. That was their rule to try and fix it, try and keep themselves uh, from falling short. Only it's the same thing that we see uh, in Genesis 3, verse 7, when they, they sin, they, they fall, and suddenly they're aware of their nakedness, which, by the way, uh, did not have everything to do with it. It included, but it didn't have everything to do with physical nakedness. For the first time, they felt uncovered before the eyes of God, but before the eyes of uh, the accuser who is there watching as well. And so they, they try and cover themselves. They, they make loincloths. It, it's that same desire to save themselves. Uh, famously, uh, the poet William Ernest Henley wrote Invictus. Uh, many of you have heard the last line from this poem, but listen to this uh, human desire to fix it, whether it's keeping ourselves from sinning or fixing it after the sin has come. Out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeoning of chance, my head is bloody but not bowed. Before this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Wow, what a response to what we see in Genesis 3 with man and woman falling into darkness, plummeting into this pit of sin. And yet, all these years later, Henley writes, I am the one who is going to be the master of this. No matter uh, what the punishments of the scroll, the, the judgments written against me, no matter what man or God has to say, I am the master. I am the Lord of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It's us believing that we can accomplish or keep our salvation by ourselves, friends. That is the danger of legalism. It's some salvation that we can accomplish and then we impose it on other people. I am the master. I'm the Lord. I'm the captain. There's none higher than me. It also opens the door to the accusation of the enemy because the serpent immediately comes in and says, you won't surely die. And she's, she's mixed up what God has said as a clear command and what they had said as their legalistic command. And she can't tell the difference anymore. And Satan is able to say, you won't surely die. And she believes it and dismisses God's word. Man, let's be so careful that we are always looking to be more faithful to the word of God, that we're not distorting it, that we may not dismiss it. Because every sin comes from a lack of trust towards God, his word, in his heart. And we have a God we can trust. We have God's word given to us. That men and women have paid with their blood that we might have the scriptures in front of us. May we be people of the word. May we be diligent to not only have it sitting on our shelf, sitting on your bookstand with dust all over it. May we be people who dive deeply inside 
that we may know the God who's revealed himself, that we may honor him and trust him. So I hope this has been an encouragement to you, a little bit different format, a little bit shorter than our normal midweek podcast. Uh, Just encourage you, uh, be careful in doubting God's word, distorting God's word, that we might not dismiss God's word. Uh, We look forward to worshiping with you, Lord willing, this coming Lord's Day on Sunday at 10 a.m. You can uh, join us for our live stream. We had a little problem with it last week. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to have our adult Sunday school starting at 9 o'clock. If you can be here, uh, join us in person. We'd love to gather together with you in worship. So until then, God bless you. Uh, Thanks for checking out the podcast. Like and subscribe to it to make sure you get updates in the future. Uh, We'll see you Sunday.